Welcome everybody to the Live Damn Well podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about magnesium and it's part two of a series called the Micronutrient Spotlight, a new series that I'm starting. Very excited for you to be here. This was a very comprehensive episode. It actually took way longer to prepare for than I thought. I was amazed to find so much information about it. Um, A few quick things before we begin. If you hear monkeys howling or birds squawking, just know that I am outside in Costa Rica, so just think a bit like ambiance or something. I also really want to thank the show's sponsors for this. Um, Without it, I would be even more of a sad, broke college student. First, if you haven't heard of Thrive Market, they are pretty incredible, and it's not just because I get paid a little commission. I have been using Thrive Market personally. My family and I have been using it for over two years now. They are a subscription-based grocery store which delivers organic, grass-fed, all of those buzzwords right to your door. And they are a fraction of the price of what you'd find in a Whole Foods. So they are incredibly affordable and they have a curated list of, of sauces, of supplements, of chips and snacks and Pretty much anything that you can find in a health food store, you can find at Thrive Market, except cheaper, and it's delivered to your house. So since you're a listener of the podcast, you can get a free $24 gift, and you can get 25% off your first order when you join Thrive Market. There are one-year and one-month memberships available. Next, I recently had a podcast episode with Dr. Bill Schindler, which was number 19. He was an incredible wealth of information on the subject of anthropology, of ancestral food preparation, and and I was surprised and amazed to see all of the courses that he's created on uh, making fermented dairy, making cheeses, making sourdough breads, um, basically getting back to our roots in terms of properly preparing and making food more digestible nutrient-dense and bioavailable, and I think that is really the name of the game when it comes to diet. So check out his courses. They will be 10% off using discount code LIVEDAMNWELL. Now, on with the show. Welcome back to part two of the series that I'm doing on magnesium, the micronutrient spotlight. In part one, we covered what is magnesium, why is it relevant, what is, why is it important, and what is the prevalence of deficiencies, how can you test for deficiencies, and what has magnesium been shown to do? What benefits has it been shown to confer to different populations? Now, in part two, we're going to talk about something a little different. We're going to talk about all of the different forms of magnesium, from magnesium oxide and citrate to L3-nate, malate, glycinate, taurinate, and orotate. And we're going to talk about the dosage, the dietary considerations, um, how certain nutrients can actually affect the absorption of magnesium, and a few other things. Like if you're on low carb, what are some of the recommendations for that? And let's get right into it. So first of all, let's get something clear. Different forms of magnesium do different things. All magnesiums are not created equal. So let's start with the most common one. So the cheapest and the most common one is magnesium oxide. You'll see this pretty much in every grocery store that has a supplement aisle or every uh, every drugstore, convenience store. Now this is used commonly for its laxative effects. 
And while this form is better than nothing, there are much better forms which serve other purposes. In fact, the bioavailability, which means how well you can absorb something, is a measly 4%. Yeah, pretty sad. Number two, we have citrate. Now, this one is also pretty common, and it's right up there with oxide, but its bioavailability seems to be much higher at around 25 to 30%. And this has been shown to be more bioavailable than magnesium chelate and oxide. Now, I would be careful with this unless you want uncontrollable diarrhea because it can still cause some laxative effects, especially because citrate tends to be found in powders. For example, there's a one formulation called Calm and it can cause laxative effects if it is in a powder form because it can bring water, it can draw water into the intestines. So careful with taking too much at once and just consider working up to a higher level of magnesium, at least at the beginning. Next, we have magnesium L-threonate. This is by far the most interesting one, with, which I think has the most promise for being helpful to, well, almost everyone I think can benefit from, from magnesium, but L-threonate, just because of the prevalence of um, brain disorders and neurodegenerative diseases that we're seeing in the elderly population, this is pretty fascinating. And as a neuroscience major, this form of magnesium is particularly fascinating because it has been studied for its effects on improving cognition and learning. It can cross the blood-brain barrier and raise levels of magnesium in the brain better than any other form. It has a higher bioavailability than oxide, citrate, and glycinate. And here's what it's been shown to do in the scientific literature. L3 and 8 has been shown to enhance learning abilities, working memory, and short and long-term memory, as well as synaptic plasticity in rats and mice. Now, synaptic plasticity, or you have something called neuroplasticity, which is essentially kind of like it sounds. It's our, our brain's ability to wire and rewire. In addition, a recent randomized controlled trial conducted on humans by Stanford University studied the effects of magnesium l 3 on patients with dementia and Alzheimer's disease. But the study results have not been fully updated. So while it seems to have profound impact on animal models, the evidence remains somewhat sparse in humans. Personally, though I can't say for sure if it's placebo, I've found that taking magnesium l 3 does seem to make me feel slightly calmer, more mentally sharp, and less anxious. But again, that's anecdotal, and yeah, I just do that for myself. It's not backed up by a wide body of, of scientific evidence yet, though there are there is a lot of interest in magnesium L3 and 8, and more and more studies are coming out. The next one I want to talk about is magnesium malate. Malate or malate, not quite sure how it's pronounced, but this magnesium is bound to malic acid and it has been shown to reliably raise magnesium levels in red blood cells, which, as I explained in the previous episode, is more relevant than serum or blood levels of magnesium in predicting magnesium stores in the body. Now, malic acid has been studied for its potential benefits for athletes since it plays an important role in generating mitochondria, the engines of our cells, under both aerobic and hypoxic conditions, which are the conditions, obviously, where uh, endurance and, and other athletes are working under. 
In some studies, malic acid has been shown to improve exercise capacity and strength in humans. But again, as with anything in science, more studies are always helpful and more informative, but it seems to be helpful in helping reduce uh, and helping improve exercise capacity. Next, we have magnesium glycinate, diglycinate or bisglycinate. This form of magnesium is a magnesium bound to glycine, and it seems to have better bioavailability than magnesium oxide, which oxide is just, as we know, it's not that great in terms of absorption. In addition, magnesium glycinate has been studied for its antidepressant and anti-anxiolytic effects on people with major depression. This is because, as one study states, magnesium depletion leads to NMDA overactivity and, as a consequence, to depression and anxiety-like symptoms, neuroendocrine changes, including increased cortisol levels, sleep disturbances, including a reduction of slow-wave sleep, and increased inflammatory markers. Okay, so that's a big quote. Let me break that down. So NMDA receptors, when they're overactive, seem to be neurotoxic. They seem to be associated with anxiety-like behaviors. And if magnesium seems to kind of counteract that. And so depression and anxiety-like symptoms seem to go down when you have proper amounts of magnesium. And again, it makes a lot of sense that if you don't have enough magnesium, then you can have poor sleep. Because really, how I was red-pilled into magnesium was my sleep sucked. And that was one of the first things which started to help my sleep, in addition to so many other things that are important uh, in terms of sleep. But this is a great one to start with. In addition, another study, I quote, says, gamma aminobutyric acid, so GABA, and glycine are major inhibitory neurotransmitters in the central nervous system, predominantly active in the spinal cord and the brainstem. Taurine, which I'll get into later, and glycine, also act as a modulator of excitatory amino acid transmission mediated by NMDA receptors once again. So glycine in itself, even without magnesium, glycine seems to also be part of this inhibitory, um, let's say compound, which also serves to possibly help with anxiety and help promote calm. So this form, I personally use it in order to uh, fall asleep. It seems to be one of the best forms to just promote calm, not just because of the magnesium, but because of the glycine that it's bound to. Next, we have taurinate. This is pretty interesting. This is one that I actually hadn't looked into as deeply until I uh, prepared for this podcast. But in addition to glycinate, magnesium taurinate has been studied for its antidepressant effects on people with major depression. Later on in the study, the authors write, Magnesium and taurine were both deficient in nearly all depressed patients. Now, obviously, depression is multifactorial. It's social. It's psychological. It's, uh, it has to do with trauma. There are so many different pieces of the depression puzzle. So rather than being the solution with a capital S, this is one piece of the puzzle. And it, it probably, I think, can serve to be a an, an adjunct, uh, a, a therapy that works alongside the standard of care, which, which could help to bring about better results in terms of people with depression. So magnesium taurinate is definitely one that I'm looking out for and hope to see more research on it. Next, we have magnesium orotate. This is made up of 
erotic acid and magnesium, where erotic acid acts as a transporter to carry magnesium into cells. It works as an antioxidant by scavenging free radicals. So why is it different than the other forms? Well, it seems to confer protection to the heart and to the neurons. In fact, a 2009 randomized control trial showed that patients being treated for congestive heart failure who received magoritate had a 75.7% survival rate compared to just 51.6% under the placebo. In addition, symptoms improved in almost 40% of patients in the group that received magoritate, whereas symptoms worsened in over 50% of patients in the placebo group. So let me say that again. Symptoms improved in almost 40% of patients who received the magnesium, whereas symptoms worsened in over 50% of patients in the placebo group. In other words, magnesium orotate in patients with congestive heart failure improved both symptoms and mortality significantly, in addition to the standard medical care for congestive heart failure. Now let's talk about dosage and dietary considerations. So we're not a closed system, right? We are a totally interconnected system which works in concert with with anything else. You can't separate the brain from the gut, and now we know that there's a connection between that. We are one interconnected system. So what does that have to do with magnesium? Well, magnesium absorption doesn't just have to do with magnesium, right? There are different substances that can affect how well it's absorbed. So just because you eat a certain amount of magnesium in the diet will not mean that you will absorb it. For example, phytic acid or phytate a well-known anti-nutrient in plants, has been shown to reduce the absorption of magnesium by up to 60%. Phytic acid is found in nuts, seeds, wheat, and other plant foods, which is why I recommend ancestral food preparation, such as soaking, sprouting, and fermenting, as this has been shown to neutralize many of these potentially harmful anti-nutrients. Now, when I talk about this with people, they are shocked because now that the vegan movement has grown and grown, it seems like it's very one-sided, that plants are good, meat is bad, and, and the truth is it's a little more nuanced than that. And I think this is something which people have tended to discredit, but anti-nutrients are a very real thing. Now, their you know, real-world applications, I think, depends on the person. Bio-individuality, again, is the name of the game. So, my real recommendation, what I've found, is, is just working to make foods as easily digestible and bioavailable as possible is really the best way to go about diet. Um, if you want to learn more about that, I would recommend checking out my episode with Dr. Bill Schindler, an anthropologist in number 19 of the Live Damn Well podcast, because he is a wealth of knowledge on all of that stuff. He has been in multiple countries living with indigenous populations and he has many insights into ancestral food preparation. Next, inulin, a prebiotic fiber found in chicory root, seems to enhance magnesium absorption, though the research isn't really clear how big of an effect this is. In addition, low oxalic acid, which is another anti-nutrient, low oxalic acid leafy greens seem to be a great source of magnesium and potassium with the absorption anywhere from 40 to 60% absorption. So why is that relevant? Well, on average, magnesium availability is around 
for other foods, meaning that leafy greens are on the higher end of bioavailability from whole food sources, which make them a great source for many people. Now, one of the highest oxalate leafy greens is spinach, for example. But doing a quick search on Google will allow you to see which leafy greens are lower in oxalic acid. Next, let's talk about coffee consumption. So coffee is what's known as a diuretic. And so heavy coffee drinking can deplete you of minerals such as sodium, potassium, and magnesium, making them, making it even more critical for you to really pay attention to the amount of electrolytes that you're getting throughout the day. Now, low carb. It's no secret that low carb has become a, a worldwide phenomenon, whether it be keto or paleo low carb. A lot of people are doing it nowadays. So if you're following a ketogenic or low-carb diet, one thing that often gets missed is electrolytes, such as sodium, potassium, and of course, magnesium. Because as your kidneys start to, they start to kind of change. They start to work on quote-unquote overdrive and excrete water along with sodium, magnesium, potassium at a faster rate than normal. Uh, Dr. Stephen Finney is one of the leading researchers on ketogenic diets and explains this very well if you want to go more in depth. Okay, let's talk about the RDA, so the dosage. So the RDA is the recommended dietary allowance and it's between 300 and 420 milligrams a day for most people. But some experts recommend an optimal intake of somewhere around 600 milligrams of magnesium per day, though this obviously varies from person to person. In the show notes, I will show a chart, a very helpful chart, which shows the RDA for magnesium by age group and by sex, and depending if you're pregnant or lactating. Finally, let's look at some takeaways, some resources, and some other considerations to wrap this up. So first of all, for most people, I would consider magnesium supplementation. I would consider getting your levels checked and speaking with your doctor. Uh, it seems relatively safe. The body absorbs what it needs and eliminates the rest. One common side effect of too much mag too quickly can be diarrhea or stomach upset, especially with citrate or oxide. And I would also really speak to your doctor to see if there are any, any medications that it might uh, impact or interfere with. Now, if you're an athlete, supplementing magnesium should strongly be considered to prevent muscle cramping and support proper muscle contraction, as well as maybe even improve muscle or improve exercise performance, um, specifically with the magnesium malate that we talked about earlier. Now, if you suffer with sleep, you should also consider supplementing a form of magnesium, such as magnesium glycinate or magnesium l 3 8 in order to support um, healthy inhibitory neurotransmitters right before you're about to go to sleep. And again, I would strongly recommend you check out episode number 19 that I mentioned. Dr. Bill Schindler, we had a really good conversation. And really a big theme of that conversation was we are a society that is overfed yet malnourished. We have largely fixed the hunger problem. So we have a lot of calories, right? in developed nations with more overweight and obese people than ever before. But we're now facing another problem, a lack of micronutrients, which are crucial for long-term health. In other words, 
We fixed the calorie problem in most developed nations, but what we have ignored has been the micronutrients, the vitamins and the minerals that promote longevity and optimal health. In addition, there are some major problems with these studies, as you saw, and and it annoys me too sometimes, but I have to be very centered when I talk about this because oftentimes what I'll hear from people who are quote-unquote health gurus is that they'll make these wild claims based off of one or two animal or in vitro studies, and I do not want to fall into that trap. I want to stay centered, and while it may be kind of boring and it may be kind of annoying that I'm not saying, yeah, magnesium malate will turn you into a superhuman athlete, that's just the way that I have to do things. That's the way I've chosen to do it because I don't want to mislead people. I want to find the truth about health, and I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to compromise on the truth. So that being said, there are some major problems with studies that may actually limit how effective it seems. So for example, some studies which look at brain health used forms which do not effectively cross the blood-brain barrier. And that, that's a huge problem, right? Because if it can't cross the blood-brain barrier, then you can't really see a big effect on, on things like Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's or, or some cognitive impairment of, of some kind, right? Now, the doses also vary by study, as well as the form. So this makes it really difficult to see if magnesium helps certain conditions because some studies may simply be using a different form and a different dosage. So again, scientific research is not perfect, but it just, it just gives us insight. And as always, I'm a broken record with this, but more studies are always better. So here are a few resources to look deeper into the magnesium problem. Dr. James Nicolantonio, he's a researcher that has written quite a few well-done studies uh, in, the, in the British Medical Journal and a few other uh, prestigious journals. Number two, check out my episode number 19 with Dr. Bill Schindler. You won't regret it. Uh, and check out Dr. Chris Masterjohn. He has a PhD in nutritional sciences and has a great book called Vitamins and Minerals 101, which is a great intro book. And if you're really looking into the world of micronutrients, which is pretty complex, complex world that I'm just starting to get a grasp on. And finally, the one uncontroversial statement, probably, in nutrition science seems to be eat whole foods, unprocessed, unrefined foods that you would find in nature, especially magnesium-rich foods. Leafy greens, wild-caught salmon, sprouted nuts and seeds, soaked legumes, avocado, and dark chocolate. I hope that you found this episode really helpful. I put a lot of time and effort into this. I was super interested in, in magnesium. And honestly, before a few years ago, I had no idea that there was so, so, so much information about it. Um, I will have some of the resources that I mentioned in my show notes and my website at livedamwell.com slash podcast. So check that out. And if always you have any questions, please leave a comment. Reach out to me on Instagram at live.dam.well. And one other thing, I will soon be releasing a copy of my book, Return to Human, 
in a physical form, and I'm really excited about that. If you could please share that with loved ones. That's something that I've poured hundreds of hours into. And I I hope to just empower people at a time when people seem to be so disempowered, especially surrounding health, but not in a way that misleads people um, and takes advantage of people like, like I've seen many people do during this time. So again, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.